welcome to the Retro Lovely Podcast. We are speaking today to Toby Ann Russell, and uh, we're talking to Toby because we just released the Toby Ann Russell Special Model Edition. And Toby's on the line. I'd like to say uh, say hello. And uh, Toby, hello. How are you doing tonight? Hello, Mike. It's nice to talk to you. Um, how long has it been? Because uh, we have talked face-to-face in the past. You've uh, come to Potsville to our studios and done some work with us. Right. I how think many- the last time was probably... 2014 I've, so quite a while ago that, that feels about right it feels about yeah. right and you know I think, yeah the last shoot was the halloween that halloween group shoot that's right that's right because yep. you came out you did a solo thing and uh you came out for the second one and if i'm not mistaken um did you stay both times at a b&b in pottsville is that correct yes okay, a great. spectacular mansion the uh, I even partridge house i believe Yes. yes, and I remember asking her if if there was any way to do photos in there, and mm. she didn't want anything to do with that. So, uh, you know unfortunately. what? I, th- I think I may have made an inquiry to them in the past, and yeah. there was actually another mansion, uh, B&B, in a nearby town that I made an inquiry as well, and... It's you know it's just one of those things where sometimes people um, you start talking about that or especially if you mention pinup because a lot of them, if they're of a certain generation, they think pinup is something dirty. They think it's like exactly. something naughty. You know, I mean, I of know. course, of course, there's naughtiness to it, but they right. they really have like a negative uh, connotation to it. Um, yeah. What's really interesting is the Partridge House where you stayed. Um, it's literally just up the street from where the studio ended up being. Um, oh yeah. Back then I was operating out of my home. And then, it, you know, things came to be that we, we moved it down to Pottsville and it was literally up the street from the Partridge House. It was literally, you could have walked from, from the point where, where that was at that point in time. And I'm not sure I, what, love, I just love that little town. It's so adorable there. It's so hilly and beautiful. And it's, it's interesting, too, because it actually has a lot of history. And the locals, I don't think, appreciate it nearly as much as out-of-towners do because we've had lots of people come to the studio from the cities and they marvel at the architecture, and they they look at it, and they you know they they speak of it in, in similar terms. So hopefully yeah, one day, yeah, it's a beautiful town. Hopefully one day uh, a bit more will start to happen. Now it's interesting. This is you know boring for people who are listening to this because I'm talking to a pinup model. But ever since COVID, we've actually had a situation in this part of Pennsylvania where there has been a dramatic influx of population, um, where we have gone for decades of people leaving the area, COVID sort of kicked in this thing where, you know, there's there's plenty of news articles that you can see where it shows an exodus of population from some of the, some of the cities. And our proximity to New York and Philadelphia, um, this area has actually been sort of like a, a landing place for a lot of people. We have a lot of towns that for, for decades have had declining population and empty homes and empty buildings to sort of a, of a boom right now where stuff is selling and people are fixing them up. And it's, it's a lot of explants from, from the cities. It's actually kind of interesting. So I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful the Potsdam actually gets some, some benefit from that. I, I definitely yeah. know that there's been some stuff going on. Yeah, I did hear like New York City's just been clearing out. People have been uh, moving out of the city. I have I have friends leaving the city. It's it's yeah. been decimated, and you know it's one of those things where uh, historically it tends to be a roller coaster. It tends to be a situation where um, it, you know things improve and it gets great, and people go there, and then it gets super expensive. And then people realize they can't afford to live there anymore. And then there's an exodus. And you have like this down, this downward trend. So I think we're in a, in a downward trend for them right now as a result of what just happened. And, you know, it's hopefully it doesn't get, get bad like it's gotten in some, some you know, periods of time. Now, 
since we're talking about cities, um, you are from Ohio, and which which is the next nearest big city to you? Well, I'm right outside of Cleveland. Okay, so so Cleveland's it's Cleveland, but there is some good things about Cleveland, the of Rock course. and Roll Hall of Fame. Sure. And it's a pretty neat city with Lake Erie and the Flats. The Flats is like this area with all bars and restaurants. They've re redone it um in the past few years and it's really beautiful it's like right on the cuyahoga river mm-hmm. and um with the boardwalks and bars and restaurants and it's really nice down there I, you know i um, actually i probably even mentioned this the last time when you were through here that uh band that i was in back in the late 90s we had played in cleveland at least once and i'm trying to think if we actually played there twice but it's a sort of situation where you go to a town and you're there for, for eight hours. You know, you don't really get to see the town so much unless you're there for a few days. And for us, it was always like, well, you're in this town today for eight hours and that's it. So, yeah. you know, my experience with Cleveland was seeing it from the highways and looking at all the big buildings and thinking like, yes, this was a, this was a fairly sizable town, you know, decent sized city. Um, and then a specific club, you know, you're in the club for like, you know, for the night and that's it. But, I didn't uh, know you were in a band. Oh yeah. Yeah. What did you do in the band? Uh, the last thing that I was involved with, I was actually, it was actually sort of my project. So I was the vocalist, um, live, all I did live was vocals. Um, recording wise though, I actually ended up doing probably 80% of everything that was on the recordings. So it was kind of like one of those projects. And, uh, in fact, the club that we played in Cleveland had the distinction of being, I think it was one of the first clubs that Trent Reznor had played in, uh, with Nine Inch Nails. It was the Fantasy yeah, the the fantasy, the fantasy right? Yeah, they had that, yeah, it's they still had that, open. They had that like ship. There's a, a like a right. like it's a ship still in there. the thing. Okay, yeah, we <laughs> it's were, exactly the same. <laughs> we were we were kind of like, whoa, there's this like boat in the middle of this club. It was cool. Yeah, I'm trying to right. think. The band that was on the bill might have been from those parts. Um, they were like a like a psycho Billy thing. Yeah, there are some psych. Cult, oh. of, cult of the Psychic Fetus. Yeah, Cult of the Psychic yes. Fetus. They're awesome. They were they were on I that bill. Them. Yeah, in fact, I remember. Um, I think we played ahead of them because really, I mean, some people knew who we were. Like, I know that very same night there was a DJ out of Chicago came in. She was DJing in another room. Uh, Scary Lady Sarah, because our band was like a gothic industrial thing, and yeah. we opened for Cult of Cult of the Psychic Fetus. And I remember. It was totally awesome for me because, well, I like that stuff to begin with, but I'm also a fan, a musical historian of sorts, and I always used to love Screaming Jay Hawkins. And he had that yeah. song, I Put a Spell on You, and back in the 50s, he would be brought out on stage in a coffin, and it would open, and he would come out and start singing. And the lead <laughs> singer of the Cult of the Psychic Fetus, they did the exact same thing. Yeah. I was just like so enamored with that. I was like, oh my God, these guys understand. These guys know. So, Well, guess what? What? I did a I did a little burlesque show. Um, it, this was probably in 2011, I think. Okay. I did a little burlesque show before the Cult of the Psychic oh, Fetus get out of uh, show. <laughs> wow. It was down in the in the flat at the where was it at? At the Odeon in the flats. Mm-hmm. It was another little concert hall there. See now you make me but, feel like I have to like check them out again. I have to like see what they've been up to. Yeah, I don't know what they're up to lately. Well, I don't even know if they're still together. It it can it can be that way. It can be that way for you know for acts depending on what sort of thing that they do. I mean, it was that way for us. We had a period of time where we did things. I mean, the music's still out there, and that's cool. And I've done things since, but um, like anything creatively, like you know, it is. It's like even with modeling, right? You probably have a period where 
um, everything's firing all, on all cylinders. You're you're working with different photographers or different artists, and there's lots of output, and you have lots of things going on. And yeah. musically, it's sort of the same way where if you get in that groove and you start to channel the right things, you you do so much in a in a period of time, and then sometimes it's hard to get back to that sort of sort of uh, productivity. It's hard to like recapture that magic, and that's why when you're in the middle of it, you really gotta like appreciate it and take advantage of it, and yeah. you know not not squander it. But uh, it was a good time, and uh, amazingly, um, it's something that uh, even to this day I have people reference it. You know, I'll have different people that I just bump into for no reason at all, and like you start to talk about music, and you mention uh, you know either that, that period and those bands and. They'll have they'll have knowledge of what you're talking about. Like you just like right now, how many people do you figure in the world know who the cult of the psychic fetus is? Right? Maybe just one other one <laughs> other person. <laughs> me, me, you, and one other person, and the guys in the band, right? So that's you know, and that's the thing. And I'll tell you, I've had this conversation a bunch with lots of people when it comes to anything artistic, music, modeling, photography, writing, acting, whatever. Okay. You you have to do it because you love it and do it for you and if you put it out there perhaps um others will find it too and love it too i mean vincent van gogh spent how many years working on his art and he was i mean they they his contemporaries like asked him like, what are you doing this is no good it's it's you should get a job you know get a job at a starbucks already you know this is not working out and then a couple of years later then the world finally gets it so the, the art that you create it has to be for you and maybe your audience um, isn't quite, you know, right around you at the same time. Maybe it's something that has to come a bit later. Because right. you're an artist yourself. I mean, you do paintings, right? I do. In fact, I've seen quite a few of them. I think you've had some in the backgrounds of some of the images. Even Am I mistaken? Isn't there some in the special edition? Yeah, there's, there's probably yeah. some in the background. Yeah, yeah I put a couple of uh, photos with my art. Good, good, good. Now, how long have you been doing that? Well... I probably got pretty serious about it when I was in high school because I was in advanced, the advanced art classes and there was nothing but serious art students in there. And uh, I wasn't painting yet. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of, um, a lot of drawing and, but. Uh, Still something in the, in the, in the, in the, in that vein at least. But now, yeah, when, was, when did you yeah. get really serious about it though? Cause I mean, I think even from when you first came out this way and worked with us in 2014, I remember seeing some of the things then. And it's, you know, this is not a, a slight to other artists, but there, there, there are different things that you see, be it photography, music, painting, whatever, that sometimes it, it, you see it and you realize that there is a, there's a quality to it. There's something about it that is... Um, like when I saw your work, I thought, okay, so she hasn't just started. This stuff has a has a maturity to it, and there's something there that is not just somebody wandering. Okay, it definitely had something going for it that was like noteworthy. I mean, I I would show it to somebody else and say, yeah, this is not just somebody that's that's screwing around with this. I mean, there was something with it that was decent. Now, that said, at what point did that actually kind of kick in? I mean, how long have you been really doing what I see mostly, the things that I see so- right now? And actually, 2014 was a spectacular year for me. Mm-hmm. Everything went right that year. And I think it was because it was the year of the horse, the Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. which was my year. And it cool. just everything went right that year. And for something just clicked in me. 
And I started working with acrylics because uh-huh. I was working with oils before that. And it was just getting really tedious so with some- the oils. And uh, so I just started working with acrylics in 2014. And, and like something just- was unlocked and you just like went crazy with it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of my pieces are, um, mu- they're music motivated. I have to be blasting my favorite music. Oh. And so a lot of things. That's funny. That's funny you should the say that. The love of music, <laughs> actually. Here's, here's, a, here's a comparable thing. When when did I start? I was, I was in the music business. I was actually, I ran a music store. We had a, a demo studio. Um, but my main job was in music. And what was really fascinating for me was I had a situation where I'm working 10, 12 hour days in a music shop and I'm listening to other people's music and helping them with things and I hear sound. And the thing that was terrible about that is, and this is this is something people say, like, be careful what you wish for because if you get it, it could kill your love for it, right? And yeah. for me, what was amazing was music was my life. It was my first love. It was my life. I got a job at a music store. I thought, this is great, right? I'm, I'm working in a music store. I love this stuff. Well, when you when you hear it, 24 7 and and people are like you're so saturated with sound well when you get done your day you want you kind of want it quiet i mean i would find myself riding home in the car with like the radio off because i had a whole day of hearing kids playing stairway to heaven and you know (laughs) every metallica song that just came out and and you're so saturated with it you just want quiet time and what was funny was i would come home and i had my 35 millimeter film camera and it was something I did in high school, and I had like an interest in it. I would I would use photography as a as an escape for music. And what was really interesting was I've spent probably two or three years doing very unusual and bizarre um, photographic art, which was using like honestly like graphic arts things uh, with the photography, so like masking and multiple exposures and hand tinting and all that stuff, as a, as a way to have a, a break for music, and then. What was really bizarre is I always noticed what you just said and why I went down this path. If I was working on art of my own with photography, I would also have music of mine playing. And the two always seemed to be intertwined. And the music that maybe I was working on that I had playing affected the sort of things that I was seeking visually. You know, if it was possibly dark, if it was gothic, if it was, you know, it had like a Halloween feel, whatever it may be. Whatever the imagery was that I was working on, it seemed like at the same time the music had that same sort of feel. It's like you could tell they were they were brother and sister, and yeah. those two arts actually always used to leapfrog each other. Like I would do some things with uh, photography that would get me somewhere, and then the music would come along, and then maybe the music would cause the art to come along. So it's it's really amazing how like you see so many artists who have you know it's not just one discipline that they're into. I mean there there's so many that do different things, and you get it, you understand how how that can happen. Well, I'm actually very musically inclined because my father was a very well-known jazz drummer in Cleveland for many years. Oh, really? And he, do you, so you, you know music from the '60s at all? Sure, big fan. So, did you ever hear of the Joe Jeffries group? And the song, the song is called "My Pledge of Love." Like, if you heard it, you'd probably, probably. recognize it. I'll definitely. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna make sure I come back and listen to it. Because my father was the drummer for that band. Joe Jeffries was poised to be the next Otis Redding. Ah. But un- unfortunately, he, like a lot of others, got hooked on drugs and he became a very bad drug addict. And they mm-hmm. only made one album. But that song, I think it went 
to like number three on the charts and I think it was like 1969. Hmm. Um, but my dad, he had a really bad heart and he died young. Hmm. So unfortunately, but he was a very gifted drummer. It, and now, so when you say young, how young? He was, he wasn't even 50 yet. Okay. He didn't raise me, unfortunately, so I, I actually didn't know him that well. Okay, so it wasn't but, like he uh, was right there when it happened, okay. Yeah, I mean... But still, still. But um, I sort of inherited his... I, I, can, I actually just got a piano. Oh, really? After, after all these years, I just now get a piano, and I can play by ear. Good. But I really need to learn how to read music, and I've been trying to teach myself, and it's not going very well. I need a teacher. Well, you know what's interesting <laughs> there? I, you say that, and I would say to you, not necessarily. Now, if you say you wanted to learn music, I would say, okay, that's great if you want to be able to like pick up a piece of sheet music and play some other song easily instead of just hearing it. Um, but it's not the only way. It's not the only way to go about enjoying music. And I have some friends actually who in the last few years, I've been working on a lot of different music. But the thing of it is, I've had a, a mental block and a dry spell for writing lyrics. Never had a problem before, but for some reason recently it's gone. But I'm still writing all kinds of different music. And it's really just bits and pieces. And I have some of them and God love them. They get on my case. They're like, you know, you really need to finish these. There's people that probably would be happy to hear your back and get it done. And my thing is, just like when you paint, okay, so the process of painting is a reward. You know, it's not just the finished piece. The actual process is something that's special. And for me, right. for me, picking up a guitar, playing my keyboards is therapy. It's something that is, you know, it's an escape. And whether I finish it or not doesn't so much matter. It's I still get a great deal of uh, balance out of just, just, you know, you know, mucking around. So... For you, you know, great. You have the piano, great. You know, fantastic. If you if you find a teacher and it's something where you know you want to learn how to read sheet music, fantastic. But don't let your current roadblock of not being there dissuade you from still going to the piano and and using you know using your ear, you know, playing by ear and figuring things out because eventually it starts to make sense on its own too. And it's great to have that sort of fresh perspective than somebody coming at you saying, "Well, this is how you do it." You know, this is the only way to do it. This is how you do it. And, you know, don't lose that spontaneity and, the, you know, the the magic of not knowing what's been done. So that's, I actually that's cool. just taught myself. It's called Nacian Number One by Eric Saté. He, he, that Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit, mm -hmm. it's played in there. It's like it kind of ha has a new popularity now because of that show. Oh, cool. I actually, it's a classical piece of music. I taught myself how to play that piece of music. Killer, killer. And um, it took a while, but but I really want to learn how to read music. So, yeah, so I can pick up some sheet music and play. Well, sure. It makes it, makes it if, if you want to get to the end of the, you know, if you want to be able to just go right to it and, and have the roadmap, that's absolutely... Do you know, you know, I assume you know how to read music. <sighs> I used to, but. I, it's really hard. <laughs> I don't think, uh, you know, here's the thing though. I have not troubled myself to learn other people's songs for so long. Like, yeah, it's great. And sometimes I do, you know, I, I noodle around and figure it out, but I've never had the desire to learn someone else's piece so perfectly that I pick up the sheet music. My Most of my time has been spent 
you know, I say I say creating my own things, but it's really recreating because I think everything is derivative derivative at this point. Like things that I would come up with in the first place are based on all the songs that I've heard for my whole life. I mean, it's it's I'm influenced by everybody else. So it's, you know, I don't think it's fair yeah. to say I'm a songwriter. I'm a song rewriter is what I like to tell people. Yeah. But for the people listening to this, let's get back to your modeling, your photography, or your, your, you know, your artwork. And what, what, when was the first time that you actually got involved in, in, in modeling and, and, you know, the world of pinup, what was the, what was the start? When did it occur for you? What was the, the impetus? Uh, I think it was when I actually first got a computer, which was 2007. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, the Suicide Girls. Yes. Remember? Yes. They contact. They actually just saw my pictures on MySpace, <laughs> and MySpace. they con. Yeah, they contacted me and asked me to send them a, a set and what they wanted. And there was a, a local photographer here that came out and uh, did a lot of pictures. And but then at that time, they they wanted nudity. Sure. And at that time, I wasn't really willing mm -hmm. to do that. So I actually didn't become a suicide girl, but that's pretty much what got it going. That was the beginning of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when they hit. Well, I remember them when it was just, what was the girl's name, Missy, that started it? Um, I stumbled upon her sure. site before it became even like a pace on. Like she was just putting that stuff together and then it became this thing and it was amazing. And I actually worked with somebody who tried to do something similar to it, but. You know, they had the market cornered on that and, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Now, um, so that was around 2007, you say? You got the computer, the Suicide Girl things hits. When would you say it actually shifted to, you know, the, the world of pinup? When did that sort of come onto your horizon? Well, it, come to think of it, it was at one of the Cult of the Psychic Theater <laughs> yeah. shows. It actually... <laughs> It must have been the show that I did the burlesque act for. Oh wow! I met I met a uh, a gal. Her her name is Deborah, but she has her photography name is Alexa Art, mm -hmm. and um, she was the literally the only photographer in the whole Cleveland area that did pinup, mm. and so she was the first one to take the actual pinup photos of me. Killer. And we became really good friends. Cool. And I ended up like apprenticing with her and helping her do shoots and, you know, create the sets. And she taught me how to edit. And oh, nice. she, she took a lot, a lot of pictures of me. And from there, um, I think the, I think you might've been, one of one of the very first shoots that I did, where I you know actually apart, traveled to somebody, yeah, and um, and I have to say, I mean, I was really nervous to meet you because just you know when I first discovered your work and your you know your your website and everything, I was just like in awe Thank you. of how Thank beautiful you. your photos are. The lighting, you know what I think of you that you are the master of lighting beautiful lighting in every one of your photos well and I, how I you're so meticulous that. you're so you were so meticulous with my shoot 
the black dress pictures. Oh yeah, yep. That lighting was just spectacular, and, and to this day, those are those are like my all-time favorite pictures. And it's interesting too because at that point in time, I mean, Retro Lovely was in its hiatus. I mean, that was right at the window where we went from selling thousands of copies of each issue to it sort of drying up overnight once you know, social media and smartphones kind of changed everything. So yeah. that first period when you came out here, the magazine wasn't even running. It was, it was like in limbo land. It wasn't, yeah. you know, that wasn't active. So, well, I appreciate that. I do appreciate that very much. Um, and then you've gone on to work with like tons of amazing people, you know, yeah, of course um, all you work with Viva Van Story, you've got, yeah, you know, actually, and lots of people. She, Melissa, Viva Van Story, she actually, contacted me in those early days like in 2007 it was 2007 or 2008 Mm -hmm. she actually contacted me invited me i didn't even know who she was yet Mm -hmm. she wasn't even big yet and invited me to a group shoot in new york city and i I couldn't go Mm -hmm. but the fact that she like reached out to me back then you know i was really to now i'm still flattered but her and i actually became friends yeah. We're still friends. Um uh, you but know I, we'll email back I went and forth two once years in a while. ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always really enjoyed working with her because there's no nonsense. I mean, if we communicate yeah. and it's an email. Like I think in the early days of virtual level, we might have had a, a phone call or two. Um, but she was always just very professional. I always appreciated that. You know. Yeah, she's a really, really nice girl. Really nice hard worker. Well, and probably one of the icons. I mean, I think when... Oh, yeah. If we get to a point where the history is written, as far as the the time now, you know, from, from let's say, 10 years ago to now, this whole sort of renaissance of pinup. Um, yeah. You know, she's definitely one of the icons of this period. That's, that's all there right. is to it. I mean, she's done so much. In fact, it's really interesting, but... There's a there's a photo studio near my house that um, the photographer that runs it, who I'm a fan of and has had work in Retro Lovely, um, he actually had some early books that he put out that were sort of like you know collaborations with a lot of different artists, and uh, it was one of the first times she was ever published. He actually you know Viva was in one of his early early books, and it was funny oh, yeah. you know to talk to him about that and say like well how did that come to be and you know he told me the story but. Uh, it's just one of those things where you never know what road is going to lead to another road or what door is going to open another one. And something you do today has repercussions, you know, five years from now. And so it's, I think it's always a good, uh, it's a good incentive to say, do things, you know, get out and do things because you don't know where it's going to lead. You know, it's really fun. Right. And rewarding. I mean, so much of, uh, you, you do things sometimes and you think, well, why am I doing this? And then 10 years later, you look back and say, yes, I was glad. I'm glad I did that. I'm glad yeah. I took the time to, to try this or work with these people and, you know, get out there in the world and, and do something instead of just being a, a consumer of art. And I think that's actually something that's kind of cool about pinup for models is that you don't really have to be from any school or walk of life. I mean, you can you can get into it. And actually do something in fairly short order. You know, there's no real boundaries. There's no real, you know, because face it, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, a professional, there's all sorts of things that have to go with that. But this is at least a pursuit that, you you, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no barriers. There's absolutely nothing to stop you. Now, in all the time you've been doing it, um, fairly generic 
questions here. What have been some of your, your worst experiences and your best experiences, or has it all been pretty smooth sailing? Yesterday, I got to get behind the camera. I'll get out. And shoot the gal I was just talking about, Deborah, she, uh-huh. Alexa Art. She's the one that taught me how to edit and everything I do know about photography. She taught me and um, she let me shoot her. She wanted to to look like Marilyn Monroe did when she did those nude photos with the scarf. Oh, yeah. There was like a striped scarf right. and a pink scarf. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I am very impressed with myself, and Good. I'm actually Good. going to post those because tomorrow's Marilyn's birthday. Excellent. So I was going to post them, and maybe you can tell me what you think about them because I think they turned out really good. Oh, and I'm really proud of myself. Definitely. I now, was afraid they were going to be like you know uh, out of focus, but she got back to me and said they were all sharp and clear and excellent. I'm really proud of myself. Excellent, <laughs> excellent, good job. You know, you you just made me think of something, and it would be I don't know if that shoot like I, I'm I'm trying to remember the name of the photographer she worked with on some of her last shoots, but I've always been fascinated by those uh, sessions of Marilyn's where they show you all the photos, but then they show you the ones that she reviewed and took the red wax pencil and crossed out different images and said no, not this one, not this one, and then circled the ones that she liked. And what you just said right now, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to do that too with these images? Like actually have like a, like a, what they would call a, oh, God, the name just a vet, just shot right out of my head. Um, photographers, when they would actually uh, contact sheet where you take the negatives, put them down on okay. one, one sheet of, of photographic paper and expose them and make basically, you know, negative size prints so you can look at them and, and review them. And that's what they used yeah. to do. And that's what they would work against and basically, uh, you know, select the ones that they wanted to use. That'd be a great look. That'd be something fun, kind of fun to do. Other than, of course, you know, <laughs> the subject saying, well, I really don't want people to see those photos. You know, I crossed them out for a reason. Right, you know? right. <laughs> now, is that something that you're going to pursue further? You're going to, like, actually uh, work towards doing more of that, do you think? You know, I went ahead and bought myself a really good camera. Nice. I have lights. I have the whole setup. I have this old house kind of kind of it's not as big as your house but it's it's old and has a lot of charm and well, i mean of, i'm i'm set up a lot of your a lot of your I'm stuff just, in your special edition is from in your house right Am I correct? um some of it some? the the ones with my art that's my art studio okay. yeah yeah there there's some with my piano i think i did the some couple of those cupid pictures by my piano oh and, cool yep I yeah those. Yep. and um i'm just afraid to just take the leap but i think yesterday might have motiv- motivated me now to maybe get something going and actually she's opening up a new studio here and actually she did sort of offer me a job oh cool so excellent so excellent. i think that might be all i needed was to just take some pictures you okay. know you you do it you do it you do it you do it more you you look at what worked and what didn't and you start to log those things and you know what there is a tremendous amount of videos on youtube um again I, I i sound like an old fart a lot of times when i talk about modern technology and things that are available to young people because i'm getting older and uh i just salivate i just think man if all this existed when i was 20 oh my god i'd be a terror you know because it's all right there it's <laughs> yeah it's in front of you and uh there's lots of great information and it's it, like even for me like sometimes if it's like say video editing i don't do a lot of video editing i, I do what i need to do for for promotional things um anytime i have like uh, something i want to do 
I'll ask myself, well, what is it that I need to get done? And you type it into the search engine and then Google finds you some YouTube video that's, you know, 90% of the way showing you what you need. And just that quick, it's somebody who's done it. It's somebody who knows and they know the pitfalls showing you what to do. And that's powerful. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great age as far as information is concerned. It's, it's off the hook. So right when I, when I got my camera I definitely I was definitely looking at some YouTube videos about my particular camera and I'll tell you what the thing is with any of the cameras um, well you, a second ago you had said about focusing so many of them do such a great job at, at focusing these days and right. they do such a great job at um, you know there's lots of different modes that you can get your exposure right um, the, I think the real thing I would say to anybody is like really, really look into videos and things that talk about um, different lighting processes, um, be it constant lights. Like I know Viva shoots, she sets up lights that stay on and they're hot and you know, it's a traditional type of photography. And then there's people that use strobes that flash and there's other people that use nothing but constant light, like daylight or natural light. Yeah. Um, like um, Melissa, like Viva Van story. She, Mm -hmm. all she does is set up five bright, Mm -hmm lights and they were probably hotter than the sun yes yeah that's yeah. all she does yeah so they're, i mean they're it photo is, it's all about lighting that's that's what they did back in the 50s and early 60s I mean, right flash technology wasn't uh wasn't that advanced and it was all hot lights they actually called them hot lights because they got hot yeah, yeah. they get hot absolutely and that's yeah i'll I'm tell you what it's a great lighting. it's a great exercise like so i've had actual situations myself where you know i get into a certain um you get into certain things that you do over and over again because they work and they look great. And then sometimes it's very good to actually say to yourself, all right, well, I'm going to consciously do a shoot and not do what I always do. I'm actually going to say, all right, I'm just going to use light that comes through the window or hot lights or fluorescent lights. You know I mean? Actually challenging yourself is, is really kind of cool. And here's something else. You know, I just said, check out videos and, and, and think about these things. You are also in a phenomenally wonderful place where you can experiment free of other people telling you what to do and do that. Literally just try things, try things out, get some flashlights, Um, you know, shine your cell phone flashlight on somebody and see what you get. Like literally, (laughs) you know, there are no rules for you right now. Just try things and don't, don't accept what other people tell you has to be. Don't, don't, don't accept this is what you do because then you can, you could stumble on something that works and that has a signature for you. So it's a great, it's a great spot to be in. It's a great spot to be in, not to have the weight of, of, of so much information and knowledge that you're, you're kind of like boxed, boxed up by it. So cool. Right. Yeah, rock on. Rock on, dude. Take those <laughs> take those piano lessons and start with the with the camera some more. Yeah. So, um, let's see. We have been talking for about 40 minutes. Oh, 30 minutes for reality. With your special edition. All right. Um, what do we end up with? 80 pages of uh content, I think, or 80 yeah, pages in total. Yeah, it says 80. So it's a pretty impressive yeah. collection. Um, there's lots of great stuff in there. How I mean, I'm gonna post links um in the podcast and everywhere again for people to you know reach out and contact you to get a copy of this. And for those listening to this, please consider purchasing a copy of this from Toby because with the model special editions. What we're doing as a publication is we're putting them together for artists that we've worked with who have really done um, 
I don't say heavy lifting, but I mean, it's, it's, it's literally for people who we have recognized as having done, um, having become partners with us, having done some work and, you know, uh, promoted their, their issues that they've been into their, to their fans and doing things with them and, and, you know, marketing, if you will. Um, the, the issues that we do that are the model special editions, they're done for the models. And while they carry our name and we endorse them and we encourage you to buy them, the models actually sell them. The models make the profit from these things. And for us, it's very important because in the totality of pinup, in this genre specifically, and in a lot of modeling, um, the models actually are the people that really pay the most money to make it happen. Um, they hire makeup artists, they hire photographers, they invest in wardrobe. It's just same way with burlesque performers. As COVID is 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 losing its its stranglehold on us, and we're once again able to actually do things uh, socially, um, and you can get out to a burlesque performance, go there and tip them, because those gals that you see, they spend far more money on the wardrobe that you're looking at, that you enjoy than they right. ever make from the door cover charge or the merchandise that they might be selling. Support these people, please. And in the case of the model special editions, it's the same thing. These, these girls are the ones that make this happen for you. All the, all the hours that you spend on the internet looking at amazing pinup photography, the people that pay the most money to make that happen are the models. Okay, So in, in this case, please support Toby. Get a copy. Get two. Um, now, are you offering them autographed? Is that also true? Yes. So. And it's been amazing to me. There have people have been contacting me Good. that I've never talked talk to before who just compliment me so much and Good. follow me. And Good. I had no idea that they loved me like that. Well, it's, you <laughs> so know, it's been really, really nice. That's that's what it's about, and that's one of the things with the publication and growing the audience. I mean, it's always had a pretty significant audience in spite of being on hiatus for a while. We've sort of come back with a bang, and I'm really pleased and grateful uh, for the support, and I'm grateful for the direction that it's gone, and I'm very grateful that um, there's been enough support for us in general that we're able to justify doing these things. Um, as far as I know, I don't think there's any publication that's doing anything for models at all. I mean, it's, they no, take the work and they publish so. it and that's that. So um, I wish there was more. Cause I mean, you know, honestly back in the very early days when I first started it, um, I started noticing, you know, all this pinup art and I'd been into it, you know, from, from my childhood. My father was a, he had a business and he had a spray gun and he painted, he painted statues and his, Oh, yeah. The actual instructional books that he had to learn how to use a spray gun had pinup art. It had the pinup art of like Varga and uh, Elvgren and all the the classic oh, yeah. guys from the 30s and 40s, the, the actual spray paint guys. And I, that was my exposure to it. That was, that's how I learned about it all. And then, all, you know, you fast forward and it makes a comeback. Well, I'd started seeing so much of it, but there wasn't really magazines to buy it. I mean, I you, you see a couple in car magazines here and there and the odd book but there wasn't anything that was capturing it nearly as much as I, I was seeing it being produced. And amazingly at that time, I stumbled upon uh, a magazine. I forget the name of it. And I won't even mention it because it's not really that relevant. But it was a magazine that was produced using the MagCloud you know, print-on-demand service. And I got a copy. And as I looked at it, I thought, wow, this was really expensive for how few pages there were. And the graphics and the design kind of feels amateurish to me. And I knew a thing or two about printing and I thought, can't, can't we do any better than this? And 
that's where Retro Lowly was born. And the first three years, they were mass produced. We were literally, I mean, it killed me then. It killed me then that I couldn't pay people to publish their work. Okay, because traditionally that's what publishing was. You wanted to like sell ads. You had stories or photographs or whatever that people would be interested in. They would buy the magazine and the ads helped pay for it all. And the yeah. ads were what helped you pay the talent. Well, I was bummed out when we first started that I couldn't even do that. And it's amazing to think now, but like back then with all the first issues for the first three years, every single issue that we did, I, I sent free copies to the models and the photographers that were in it. And people that were in it could buy them at wholesale. I'm talking a really cheap wholesale. I mean, 2 $3 yeah. for a magazine. And there were people who were selling them making money. And the goal was always to create something, a vehicle that could allow that, that people could come to and take advantage of if they had a little bit of drive, some material, and they could find their market. You know, it wasn't that I could like guarantee them that they were going to sell copies and make money, but at least the opportunity was there. And unfortunately, smartphones and social media just took that away. There was no way I could continue to do it because I was losing money. It got to the point where... I mean, I never made money from it before, and I was breaking even and growing it. But then I had a couple of years where I was putting some of my own money into it just to keep it going. And then finally, I hit the wall. I mean, I, I ran out of resources to, to continue doing that, and you really shouldn't, you know. So so at least with this, with these special editions, at least it's something, you know, hopefully. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows Who knows what could, you know, come around the next corner, but at least we're trying. So people, right. please support Toby. Get a copy. Get a signed copy. Um, it would mean a lot to her and us. It's part of why we're doing it. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about? I mean, I've, I've been guiding this whole conversation. You can tell me, you know what? I want to talk about horses or unicorns or <laughs> whatever. Well, I did train horses. You did? So you, you didn't know that? So you I have, trained race horses for 10 years. You mentioned that in an email. That's correct. I've done all kinds of things. What else have you, you done? Know, you know, I've been you, in the Navy. I was going to say you're a military person too. Yeah, I was in the Navy after the Navy's when I tra I trained horses, and um, well, that was my life for a long time. How long was your stint in the Navy? Um, I actually wasn't in the Navy that long. Okay. I was only in the Navy for three years. Three years, okay. Hey, um, lots of people do that, yeah. But uh, then I, because I, I actually grew up in Texas. That's where I learned to ride horses, oh, okay. and um, then I went to the Navy, and I moved back to Ohio, and I... Actually, uh, worked at the racetrack here for a year, and then I ended up training racehorses uh, in the country out here in Grafton, so you, Ohio. So you were like manure deep in it. You were really, uh, really into it. Yeah, I actually, yeah. I had two Arabian horses of my own. I had a paint horse, a thoroughbred, uh. thoroughbreds at a, a farm that had 100 horses, and um, most of them were from Thistledown, the racetrack here. And wow. we broke them and trained them to race. Awesome. And it was a lot of work. <laughs> and it's why my knees and my wrists don't really work anymore because I just abused them mm. riding horses for so long. Wow. And, um, but I miss it. I haven't been on a horse in like seven years now. Wow. That's got to be say. like a, quite, a, quite a thing to go from so immersed in it to, to not. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. You can change that. <laughs> You can change that for even for a day. I could. It's just, it's like a lifestyle. Like if you have horses or you're, you know, it's, it's not just a hobby. I mean, you have to it affects everything. pretty much dev devote your life to your horse. I mean, it's right. like 24 hours a day thing. 
but there are a lot of work. I get that. I get that. I'm lucky I still have all because some of my horse trainer friends, they've, uh, have pins and screws holding their feet together and false teeth because they had their teeth kicked (laughs) out. out. You know, like (laughs) I've, you know, it's amazing. Like I've been thrown off. I've fallen off. I've been trampled. I've been bit, but luckily I still, you know, I never broke any, never broke anything, and I still have all my teeth. So there you go. I'm lucky. <laughs> you know, my ex-wife, her grandfather in World War II was a munitions expert, and he was part of a team that defused bombs. Um, you know, took care of bombs and mines, I yeah. guess, and this and that. And he said, uh, for all the years after the war, um, he'd have reunions with the various guys that uh, you know he served with. And he was one of the few people that still had 10 fingers because a lot of them had, you know, wow, they had yeah. lost limbs in their lives and, you know, it's a sort of occupational hazard. So it's, uh, I get what you're saying. You know, there's, there's certain things that, uh, that go with that. Is there anything else? Is there anything else that you've done that people would not, that would be unusual? Well. That you could talk about. <laughs> Um, can't think of anything. That's, I mean, that's, that's been your world. Yeah. That's, that's, that's plenty. That's plenty. Awesome. Is there any, is there anything you would like to say to the people listening? I just want to thank everybody for the, you know, the love and support I've been getting for, you know, my pinup and my artwork. It, it, you know, it means everything to me. Excellent. Excellent. I I do, I put, you know, a lot of time, a lot of money. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of you know, a lot of myself, my creativity, into it, and it it does you know it means a lot to get feedback and well, love and support from I'm, people. I'm, I'm I'm glad you've gotten some of that with this project. And I want to thank you. I think you're awesome. I mean, I would love to work with you again too sometime. Come visit you and, and you know you what? know I always say, I always say I wish we lived closer because I'd come and bother you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm actually right now planning, um, a route 66 trip at the end of, we're going to start at the end of June. Um, and I think it might take me, I don't know, maybe it'll be a two week thing, but I have another trip planned. I want to get back to Detroit or Detroit. I was actually just corrected on how to pronounce it. Even though I understand that there's some people in Detroit that say Detroit, um, Detroit, Detroit. Seems I, to be. I say Detroit, D- Detroit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I looked it up because I was curious why I was saying it that way. And I did find that there's there are some locals that, well, there's several. I mean, there's some, some people have a, a more French pronunciation too. But um, I do plan on getting back. I want to get back out there. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that takes me, well, it definitely takes me through Ohio. But there's there's a couple car museums, I think Ohio, Indiana, that um, I've stumbled upon that I want to check out. So when I plan um, this this Detroit trip, um, I'll be sure that you know, because if there's any possibility that we could have like a stopover in, in Cleveland or I something. Would, I would love if you came to see my house. I would love it. Well, you know, part of the reason I want to get out is that I want to not only visit historic places, but I want to get out and, and honestly, 
Um, it might be a situation where if I decide, you know what, we're going this direction, we're going down to New Orleans or New Orleans or however they want to I say. I love New Orleans. That's, I love that's, it there. That's my spirit animal. But basically, me too. as I make these journeys, I'm going to put it out there. And if there's people that um, have been in the orbit of the publication of Retro Lovely, and it's a situation where I can either connect with them or you know, rent a room from them for the night or have a sofa that I could sleep on and uh, basically I mingle. Do. I want to get, I want to get out there and like meet people and, 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 and do things, you know, not just, uh, well, like we're doing right now, the, the podcast. Um, I definitely want to have a lot more things with the publication that goes beyond just the printed page, you know, take it to yeah. a, a spot where it's, it's something a bit more than just that. So, well, I think that's a good spot. I think that's a good spot to say, thank you very much. And I appreciate your time and I appreciate your talent. And um, we're definitely going to you know, keep reminding people that they've got to get this publication from you. And we'll get this podcast online and hopefully uh, keep, you know, keep them giving you that feedback that you need. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thank All right. you so much, Mike. Oh, you got it. You have a good night. It was good talking to you. take care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.